0: By the way, for those of you that are here and you hear the cryings and you hear kids moving around, remember that this is, these are the sounds of the covenant. These are God's promises to us about their future. So we rejoice when we hear them, and when we recognize they're a reality of having all kinds of God's people among us. Let us uh, pray this morning. All glory be to you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. When your grace, mercy, power, and majesty has ordained all things unto maturity in you, you have set us aside for your purpose, and all our trials and tribulations are at work, in that which will perfect us for your eternal kingdom. Give us joyful hearts in all your ways. Make us strong in your service. Make us ever mindful that we are the people of the resurrection and that there is no power greater than your power, no power that can overthrow your purpose and your kingdom. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear that we may understand your word and that we may live to bring you praise and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we prepare to read the Gospel reading again to consider God's teachings, I'm reminded because this passage is going to start where it says, the first day of the week it began to dawn. And if you were awake this morning at dawn, and you considered the light breaking forth, bursting forth through the darkness, we are encouraged every day when the sun comes up that Christ is truly risen. Let us hear God's word from Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him they became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, when we hear this passage, it brings us joy. We have all kinds of opportunity to be amazed at the circumstances. And it gives us hope, and we can rejoice. But outside of Jesus Christ, life is hopeless. Outside the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is meaningless. People of God, death comes to everyone. And without Christ, it brings fear. The fear of death is not a new problem. God's Word tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, and as it is appointed for men to die once, every person knows that death is inevitable, but the stress of death really comes from the second half of this verse from Hebrews chapter 9 that says this, but after this, the judgment so after death is the judgment this brings hopelessness this brings stress this brings great duress it causes people when they think of these things to cry out like it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 vanities of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity this word vanity is better translated and understood for us today as vapors. So you could read that again and say, vapors, vapors. All is vapors. Verse 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever." So here, the writer of Ecclesiastes recognizes that all that we do, all that we strive to do, comes to nothing that we can grasp hold of. How can a man profit when all his labors are simply vapors? You cannot grasp a vapor with your hand. Anything that a person builds or puts effort into cannot be held or brought with them into death in matthew chapter 16 jesus says for what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul we've all heard many folks and when they come to the end of their lives they have regrets they have guilt for all the time that they spent on empty, vaporous efforts. You know, this is especially true, I think, today in our modern era, where people focus on working and playing to the neglect of their families. You know, if we look across the room, if you look to your left, and you look to your right, you see eternal souls sitting there. Eternal being now of course we must work we should take dominion of the world we should build things but it shouldn't be to our glory it shouldn't be for our benefit but for the eternal souls that we see sitting here for the eternal souls that we see as we go about our business each day you know there's a big effort to find ways to soothe our troubles and fears and throughout history People have made all kinds of attempts to deal with their guilt, to deal with their fears, to deal with their worries. And this brought a pantheon of gods in an attempt to make sure that all possible bases are covered. Many live so no god or power is not recognized or memorialized. We saw this, of course, in the ancient world, but I think it's true today. People try to find any way they can to figure out how to alleviate their guilt. We see in Acts chapter 17 when Paul goes to Mars Hill, the place of the gods, in philosophical debate. Paul addresses the men there by first pointing out that in their attempt to make sure they were not neglecting any necessary god, the men of Athens had an altar with the inscription to the unknown god. When we hear the ancients' attempts to worship every god, both great and small, we in our modern minds laugh at such feeble attempts and useless efforts. However, it's important for us to recognize that today, with the rise of humanistic thought, people have elevated all men to the point that the religion of our day consists of 8 billion people in the world who are their own individualistic god. The same lie understood by the pagan cultures of antiquity is alive and well today as each man-god may self-define and self-determine everything, including their sex and their reality, without any boundaries. Part of this religion is to live in a death-denying culture. According to research, Americans have developed a death-denying culture. We do not like to think or acknowledge that death is an inevitable reality. From the fall in the Garden of Eden, death has been swallowing up the whole earth. As one commentator says, the one thing that holds absolute power is death. Tyrants rise and fall. Presidents come and go. Celebrities are quickly forgotten. But all are born all die. All these efforts are truly, as the preacher from Ecclesiastes points out, are simply vaporous. Our culture tries to live without acknowledging the inevitability of death, and in that belief, they also deny the resurrection. Why do some say there is no resurrection? Living as we do in a world where the attempts are made to to ignore death and the inevitability of this reality... We attempt to build lives that do not have to face guilt, regret, and unforgiveness that clings to us with an eternal grip. In the modern pantheon of God, science has one of the largest temples. Using science to resolve sin is a hopeless foundation of sinking sand. Matthew chapter 7. You know, if you're paying attention at all about how we're trying to use science, and and I'm going to clarify here in just a second, but it's important for us to recognize that this trend is growing. In 2014, 16% of Americans were prescribed mental health medicines. This number has increased over the last seven years to 25%. Now here's the clarification. There are certainly some whose bodies are deficient and need medical assistance to function correctly. But when you're living in a world that attempts to resolve the ravages of sin without the redemptive work of Christ is simply futile. People turn to their idols for deliverance. These idols of experts and medicines do not deal with the depravity of our sin which separates us from god and dooms us to eternal judgment praise be to god that christ's resurrection for us is the gift of god's mercy to us all this means that we are not hot, hopelessly swallowed up by death the efforts to deny the hope found in christ's resurrection is not new we see in first corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 12 the statement that Paul is making to the church in Corinth. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching, this sermon today is empty. And all of our faith here today is also empty. We see in verse 17, this, and if Christ is not risen and your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. What that is saying is, if there is no resurrection, if there is nothing after death, then we are all very, very If Christ did not die and take the punishment of our sin, and if he was not resurrected by the Father, then we would simply be all lost. Satan, the father of lies, has always said, has God really said? Or has God really done? Or does God keep his promises? And there have certainly always been some who have been spurred on by Satan to deny resurrection we see in Matthew 22 verse 23 it says this the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him you see the high priests of Jesus day were among the Sadducees along with many of the leaders in Israel even though these men performed the elaborate liturgical practices In the name of the temple of Yahweh, they did not believe in the resurrection and the judgment of the dead. Their religious life and liturgy was about themselves instead of being in obedience to God. Now this is really important. This helps you fill in some of the narrative, what's going on, why all this is happening. So why did they do this liturgy? Why did they continue to go to the temple and put on the show, have all these things quote scriptures? You see, they didn't believe, they didn't want to do it because if they acknowledged that there is a resurrection, it would mean obligations to the living God. They, like many modern Americans, deny the resurrection so they may live as they please we see that Jesus responds to the false teaching of the Sadducees in verse 31 where it says this but concerning the resurrection of the dead have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob God is not the God of the dead but of the living And it's interesting because right at the end of that it says this And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Why were the people astonished? It is because Jesus spoke against the leading ideas of the day. Jesus spoke with authority and directed men to God's word to properly define the creation and every person in it. The high priests, led by Caiaphas, and many of the leaders of Israel desired to maintain their power and wealth above the truth that was obviously screaming in contrast to their own personal narratives. Consider this, in Matthew 28 verse 11 it says this, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Now remember, just positionally, if you're not tracking with us, our gospel reading was verses 1-10. through 10. And so now, we're picking up at verse 11. So they run into the city, and the guard goes and reports to the chief priest all that's happened. What's happened? At sunrise, there was an earthquake. Anybody here have been in an earthquake? Okay, can you deny that it is happening? Because it happens, and let me ask you a question. When an earthquake happens, do you feel like you're in control? It's pretty unnerving, isn't it? And you see the great foundations of all the buildings we build, they crack, they crumble. The work of men is powerless under the power and work of God. But what happened? This earthquake. And then what happens? An angel descends from heaven. And then the angel takes the stone and rolls it back. The angel tells the women that Jesus is not in the tomb and that he is alive. That's super interesting. Those those soldiers, they were there, they witnessed all of this. Can you imagine being those, those Roman soldiers there on guard when this happened? All this happens, and they don't say, Well, I think my opinion of the world is changing. What do they do? They become little tattletales, and they run into town. And they say, hey, I know you told me to do this, but um, something happened over there. And what do the chief priests do? It says, when they had assembled the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So what did they do? They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews till this day. So what did they do? First of all, if you look at the soldiers, that they knew they had seen something totally amazing. Something really powerful. They saw... An angel come down and roll back the stone, demonstrating and showing to all that Jesus wasn't in there. And they witnessed all that, they took the money. The chief priests and the leaders, what do they do? They don't go to the tomb to fact-check the soldiers' account. No, they assemble and decide how to do damage control and how to control the narrative. The chief priests don't want to face the reality of jesus resurrection in the face of the true reality of christ's work to redeem people from their sins they do not repent they don't want to admit their mistakes and turn and repent you know this reminds us of jesus parable of lazarus and the rich man in luke 16. in that story you know this is important this is the only place where jesus Gives us a proper name in his parables. So we're going to hold on to that because that's going to be a big connection for us. It says this. So the rich man says to Abraham, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house, where I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, that's Abraham, said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. So here in this story, Lazarus is there, and Abraham is caring for him. This is prior to the resurrection. there's this discussion going on between this rich man who's lived a wicked, self-serving life, and he's convinced that if he could just send someone back, that they saw someone resurrected from the dead, that this would change their minds. Really? Remember, Lazarus is the person in the parable. If we turn to John chapter 12, and we see that Jesus raises a man from the dead named Lazarus. And in John 12, verse 9, it says this, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he, that's Jesus, was there, and they came to him, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom had been raised from the dead. Listen to verse 10. But the chief priests, did they go out and fact check and see this guy that had been raised from the dead named Lazarus? No. The chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The chief priests in the face of the truth of Lazarus being raised from the dead did not go and see. They did not say we've been wrong. They do not repent and cry out for God's mercies. Instead, they plot against the truth. They plot against Jesus and even Lazarus. They plot against Jesus all while going in and out of the temple and putting on the liturgical show. Beware of the leaven of liturgy without repentance and without the fruit of repentance. And that is good works where you lay down your life for others. People of God, the historical fact is that Jesus Christ is risen. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection happened on a Friday for his death and on a Sunday in real space and time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 provides for us additional facts. We see beginning in verse 3, For I, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas that's Peter then by the twelve and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained present but some have fallen asleep after that he was seen by James and then by all the Apostles Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. The resurrection is a fact. Children, look this way. The children, excuse me, Jesus was born. He lived a sinless life for us all. And he died on the cross and paid for our sins. then he was raised from the dead the resurrection is a fact we do have hope not in ourselves but in that god keeps his word remember what did it say according to the scriptures according to the scriptures and what did jesus himself do during his whole ministry he pointed people to the word of god through his speech and through his acts of obedience God is merciful and keeps his promises to us for Jesus' sake. We are all made alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. All of us were born dead. We needed Christ Jesus to deliver us from our trespasses and sins verse 2 of Ephesians 2 says in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we were all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others but here's where the hope comes in we're all born in this state we're dead in our sins and trespasses but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's really important that we remember this. God keeps his word. God makes a promise. It always comes true we can look at this briefly by considering in this passage where are these women come to the grave they're in a garden we see a garden a man and a woman the old creation began in a garden with a man and a woman the old in the old creation the man adam failed to guard protect and lay down his life for the woman When God comes to the garden, he sees that death has been brought to all men. Here in the Garden of Eden, God promises the deliverance of death by the seed of the woman. On the day of resurrection, we have a garden. We have a woman, Mary Magdalene. We have Jesus. Jesus at the cross stepped between Satan and his bride, the church. Satan's head has been crushed. At the resurrection, Mary represents all of the church on the first day of the new creation. Jesus calls Mary by name and reveals himself as the risen Lord, just as he has called all of you by your name. God has kept his word and delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. All of us today can be strengthened and stand firm that Jesus is resurrected and that God keeps his word. Let us be encouraged that God demonstrated to us in the resurrection that he keeps his promises. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe the glorious victory that you have accomplished your son by the power of your spirit remind us that death has been swallowed up in victory by the resurrection of your son help us to rejoice in all that has been done for us and grant us that we might now live with joy and holy confidence and boldness to stand where you have called us to stand and not in any way to slacken our labor for the kingdom doing everything we do to your glory Strengthen us by your Spirit to that end and deliver us from evil, especially in the false hope of vaporous and empty religious life. Grant us mercy to show forth your praises in these days. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.